0: Imagine learning in a small group, intimate setting while exploring unique European locations. EU Vet CE Experiences offers race-approved CE seminars that combine half-day lectures with time to relax and discover captivating cultures. The CE sessions are delivered in English, allowing you to elevate your career while vacationing with loved ones. Experience the perfect blend of learning and luxury at EU Vet CE Experiences interactive seminars in hand-picked European destinations. Elevate your knowledge and recharge simultaneously. Visit euveterinaryce.com to learn more.
1: It amazes me that, with hardly any exceptions in all the years I've been doing this, everybody's doing it with a big smile on their face. We're all laughing at the end of the day, we're having a great time together. That to me is just such a great testament to the veterinary profession in general.
0: To Vet Life Reimagined. Have you heard the breaking news? There is a 2023 2024 initiative for the implementation of a mid tier veterinary professional associate. This is huge for career paths for veterinary technicians. In this episode, we will also show how veterinary professionals, especially veterinary technicians, can be empowered. Our guest is veterinary technician Christine Robinson. When she saw the images of the disaster left by Hurricane Katrina in 2005, she drove down to Louisiana to help, and this experience became a pivotal moment for her and her career. She is now the executive director for the Canadian Animal Assistance Team. We will discuss the benefits of volunteering Talk about how to make volunteer efforts sustainable and how this can translate to your clinical practice and Chris's insights on empowering veterinary technicians. Don't forget to click the follow in your podcast app. Also, if you want to watch our conversation with pictures and video illustrations, please join us on YouTube and click subscribe. Now let's get to the conversation with Christine Robinson. So when did you know you wanted to get into veterinary medicine?
1: It was a very roundabout route that I took. I've always loved animals, which everybody says. It's true. But I didn't know how to turn that into a profession at the time, because it was a long time. It was in the Stone Age. <laughs> a long time ago. And, uh, you know, I didn't even know what a veterinary technician was. I'd never heard of one. And so thank God that I think is, is changing. But uh, I definitely knew that I would love to work with animals. And so I did eventually, I, I actually met some veterinary technicians and I learned about the profession and, and it was definitely the direction that I wanted to go.
0: Yeah, I'm really curious. So when you met the first veterinary technicians, how did they describe what they did that got you excited into doing a similar type of role?
1: Well, it's interesting because I actually started in large animal. I was at Cornell University, uh, with my husband who was doing his PhD down there and, uh, started to work at the uh, veterinary hospital there in the large animal end of, of things. And those were the technicians that I was, I was in awe of how much they knew and how much they could do and, how strongly involved they were in the day-to-day care of the animals. And that's definitely what lit the fire.
0: So you started in large animal. How did that go? I was
1: in the large animal field for about six years. And then we moved. And uh, there was a position in a small animal hospital that was very close to where we were living and i thought oh my god like i haven't really done small animal and you know it's it's different and it was a bit daunting and again i was very lucky because the clinic that i ended up going into there were two technicians there that they were amazing they were so giving and uh so uh, forgiving <laughs> of, of my not knowing the small animal side of things as well as i did large animal and they really really just you know helped me get that transition where I started to feel really really comfortable with the small animal side of things because it is quite a different role it's it's different with how you interact with owners it's uh it's just everything about it is quite different and uh, so yeah they were amazing and and then I just stayed in small animal because I loved it I'm guessing is it more interaction
0: with the owner when you're working with small animal or
1: If you're working with a large animal veterinarian who's going out on the road all the time, technicians didn't used to be used very much at all for that. And now, you know, they are a little bit more, but it's a different thing when you're working in a large university hospital because then the animals are coming to you. I mean, there is an ambulatory service, but most of the animals were coming to us. And so I had lots of interaction with the owners. But I would say, and I don't know that it's a difference between large and small, it's a difference in in time, so as as we progress through time and techs got to do more and more. And I think then uh, in small animal, we really were very lucky because there's so much client education uh, and there's so many things you can do for those animals. And so I think I think in small animal uh, in general, you have a little bit more uh, interaction with the owners, but it really depends on the individual large animal job. Gotcha. And
0: no. and so you said you fell in love with small animal. If if you had to put it into words, what do you feel like is what really captivated your heart? And you're like, oh, I love this. I want to stay more in small animal. Um,
1: well, honestly, one of the things that very slowly became a, a real passion of mine was behavior. I really love animal behavior. I love training. And I really... Enjoyed being able to work with new puppy owners, new kitten owners and help them be successful. And that was really something that I, I absolutely latched onto, uh, and really, really enjoyed. And the other thing about small animal is that I, I really enjoy medical cases. I enjoyed, you know, just being there from the start to to the finish and being able to be that person who's really not only providing the medical care, but also being able to be that compassionate person who gets to snuggle and make them feel better in that way too.
0: One of the big kind of pivots in, in your life and career was going to a natural disaster, which I want to get to. But what kind of from what we're talking about now to that point, was there a, a progression or or some change or anything within that time period that you kind of started to learn more about yourself or what you were interested in doing?
1: Wow, that's an interesting question. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I mean, definitely I was changing. I In that period of time, I had children. Uh, so I became a mother and that definitely changes your uh, what your priorities are and how you balance your work-life balance has to really work when you have kids. And and so that happened during that time, we moved again, I started at a new practice, and took on some management role as well. And so I I definitely was growing and learning more. And it just was a progression, a natural progression, as I got older and was in the business for longer, uh, that I learned more and more. And, uh, and I'm a I love, I'm one of these keeners that if I go to like continuing education, I sit at the front and I ask the questions and all of that kind of thing, because I love it. I love constantly being able to learn new things. And I think that's one of the things in veterinary medicine that's, a, it's mind boggling how often things can change. But I also really love being able to learn. It's, it's just constant learning.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Which is so funny, because I think our profession gets uh, critiqued for maybe being change adverse, but I think it's just maybe certain types of change because like you said, we're, we have to
1: constantly be, be learning. I also think our clientele has changed over the years. They expect a lot more than 20 years ago. They at least want to know what all the options are for them. And I think that that's that's a change over the last 20 years. Not that they didn't want to know, but There weren't as many options, I don't think, and things have expanded. And now I think that people also, um, you know, they want to know what can they, what is everything that they could possibly do to be able to make a decision themselves.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So as I I kind of alluded to, there was a a pretty big natural disaster, uh, Hurricane Katrina. Do you mind sharing a little bit about this event and why you wanted to help?
1: Anybody that was around when that was happening, the things that we were seeing on, on TV on a daily basis of what was happening down there with the flooding, not just the hurricane, but the levees breaking in New Orleans and the the massive disaster that it was, and a lot of animals were involved in that disaster. It's, uh, I believe it's the biggest natural disaster involving animals. And so I was seeing all those images and feeling just like helpless. How could we help? And I was um, connected through the ASPCA. I followed them and got an email saying that they were reaching out from the Gulf Coast to any veterinarians and veterinary technicians that could, could volunteer their time because obviously they were beyond overwhelmed trying to to handle what was happening. And so... As soon as I heard that, I thought, well, I can't not go. I can't not go because I'd been sitting there thinking, what can I do? <laughs> here we go. This is what you can do. And so a friend of mine, very good friend of mine, who was also a, a veterinary technician, um, she and I decided we were going to go down together. And we called all the veterinarians we knew in the within a two-hour drive to say um, that we needed donations. We were in touch with a veterinarian in a suburb north of New Orleans and uh, just as kind of our contact person to go to when we got there. And I asked him what was needed and he gave me a huge list. And so I just set that all out to all the veterinarians. And uh, within uh, two days, we had a van. We took all the seats out of the van. It was full to the top, both ends, full of donated supplies. And so we drove down. And we went to his clinic and asked him, what does he need? Where do we need to go? And the first thing he said was, well, I'll take some of the donated supplies, but there's clinics all over that need this. So if I give you the names of these clinics, can you drive around to them? And that's what we did. And one of the things, one of the first things that really struck me was how much every one of those clinics wanted to help each other. Mm-hmm. Um, it was really nice because sometimes it's not that way. <laughs> you know, it was amazing. Everybody wanted to take some, but they wanted to make sure there was enough for everybody else because a lot of them were running on generators. Their buildings had been half destroyed and they were there working. And so we delivered all of those things, went back to see what else was needed. The veterinarian said, you you would really be useful if you go to Lamar Dixon. It's like an agricultural, outdoor agricultural showground." And um, that's one of the holding stations that had been set up, and so we went there and worked there for two weeks, uh, triaging animals. There were three or four hundred new ones coming in every night that were the rescue groups going in were bringing out. There were when we arrived, there were three thousand animals there, and we were getting a new three four hundred a night. So uh, we did all medical treatments, every different type you could imagine. There was some surgery happening. It was a life-changing experience, and just being in a an area where there's been a natural disaster like that was certainly a first-time experience for us, and it, it's so much more affecting when you are there in person as to seeing it on TV. Yeah, so it was it was life-changing.
0: Wow. I actually remember when I went through vet school, there was an elective to do disaster training. And I still remember part of that course, there was an optional uh, trip where you could go where the firefighters and the police would go and train. And it was just three of us and we're all girls. And we went to this training ground for how to Mm -hmm. practice for natural disasters or all sorts of disasters. We did like chemicals things it was it was intense <laughs> again we had firefighters that we were doing it with and so did you have any type of training before you went or it was Absolutely just none.
1: yeah <laughs> the, the, the <laughs> only thing they that they had um that they wanted us for was our skills uh in the veterinary field yeah. and you know when we were going down it was a it was a few weeks after the hurricane we literally were not most of the time we're not actually in an area where they had already gone through and looked in all the houses and helped out the people that they could and uh, removed any bodies that were in the homes. And all of those things had been done by the National Guard. One of the last days that we were there, um, the Humane Society of the United States is who were running the facility we were working at. And they asked if there was anybody who would volunteer to go into New Orleans and help find animals um, that were still there. Uh, This was now a month after. And so we volunteered. And for that, they, you know, they gave us like a a half hour training on how to be safe. Um, People were still not allowed back into the city, there was no electricity. Um, And so we went, uh, you had to go through National Guard checkpoints and things to get in. And so we went and helped trying to find animals that were potentially still in a home and get them out. And also we did a little bit of feeding stations for those that were, because they were running in packs, which was really very odd because I've dealt with lots of different packs of dogs. But these were dogs that were like, you'd see a pack with a Weimaraner and a couple of labs. And it was just so bizarre. And they were just dogs that were you know, left behind, they had no choice. That was the law at the time. Thank God it changed Hurricane can Katrina at least had a silver lining for that. And so, yeah, we, we did just that little bit of work, but we are not first responders. We're not trained as first responders. So we would never be in there right away. Right. Right. Yeah.
0: Wow. The dog behavior that you were talking about, we I mean, technically dogs are packy animals, so it was interesting that they 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 kind of found each other. Yeah. 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 Fascinating. So you mentioned that this was a life changing event. So how did it impact you going forward? We would like to thank our sponsor, VetBadger, the all-in-one practice management software that puts relationships first. Created by working veterinary parents, VetBadger provides all the communication team workflow, and medical management tools you need to run an efficient practice and get home to the relationships that matter most. In support of parents in VetMed, VetBadger will be offering a signed copy of the book, Pregnancy and Postpartum Considerations for the Veterinary Team by Emily Singler to everyone who registers for a demo between Mother's Day, May 12th, and Father's Day, June 16th. To register, visit VetBadger.com and find the link in the description below.
1: Well, I think my friend who had gone down with me and myself, we drove back and we both said we have a skill set that is useful in these kinds of situations and we feel like we should be volunteering much more, that volunteering is incredibly important if you can help. But we didn't know how. And um uh, we had been to an AHA conference a few years ago, a few years before that, and we met a gentleman at a booth for the VMAP, the Veterinary Medical Assistance Teams in in the U.S. They're, I believe, federally funded, and we talked to him and said, "Oh my God, this is exactly what we would like to be involved with," but we couldn't because we were Canadian. He said, "You should start one up in Canada." <laughs> I don't know anything about that, and so after all of this happened, I went online. Looking for different groups, and I found the Canadian Animal Assistance Team. They literally had been founded at the same time that we were down in Lamar Dixon. This Canadian Animal Assistance Team, it hadn't been officially founded yet, but there was a veterinary technician in BC called Donna Lasser, and she again had got the same kind of email and she was looking at what was happening on the TV. She was much smarter than I was. I, we just got in a van and drove down. She went on to CBC and they. She raised thirty thousand dollars in two days and and she sent eighty two vets and techs down on a rotational schedule for six weeks. So they were all down there when we were down there. We just didn't know them, obviously. And so coming back, it was really interesting to me that the group that I gravitated towards was this group that had just been formed. So I joined and my friend uh, Annette joined, and then it became a, a group that started to do spay-neuter work in underserved, uh, remote, low-income type of communities. Um, that's what they started to do. And they were available, if there was natural disaster, as a team to help. Over the first few years, they were actually booked to do a spay-neuter uh, vaccination program in Peru. And two weeks before they were supposed to leave, the earthquakes happened in Peru. So they just, everybody that could possibly change their schedule did. And they all went to help much sooner. So right after the earthquakes. We've kind of evolved over time and moved away from the disaster response because we know we're not first responders. We're just people that can get called in to be skilled hands. Uh, So we're still in the network and people can call on us. But our focus started to change to be towards spay near. And then that has evolved tremendously over the years.
0: So much so that I think you started your own chapter, right?
1: Um, we had an Ontario chapter right away. As soon as okay. we and I joined, we, we formed the Ontario chapter um, because uh, the members of Canadian Animal Systems Team are all across Canada. The base was in B.C., the membership was all across Canada, and so we we thought let's let's have an Ontario chapter so that we can connect and and that kind of slowly also the chapter is not really a part of it anymore. It's it's just everybody's involved all across uh, the provinces um, where we have memberships. Um, we just stay connected with each other and meet usually on projects.
0: <laughs> so you mentioned that a lot of the focus is is spay neuter projects what other things is the association involved in for
1: quite a long time we were we were partnering uh, very often with First Nation and Inuit communities and we were partnering with a community for three to five years going in annually to do spay neuter vaccines uh, humane education we we knew it wasn't Sustainable. You know, we were doing, yes, we were making a difference in the community, but it was a temporary difference if we didn't do something else. And so we've started to evolve our model to include other things. And so now when we work with a community, we work with the local leadership. And the goal is to have um, the creation of an animal management plan that is unique to that community. It's run by that community. So we are kind of here as mentors. We're here as advisors, but we're not the ones who are running it. It's the community themselves. And that's how it's going to be a more sustainable thing, because the spay eater has to be supported by other programs. So it might be in one community. Maybe they decide they want to have some bylaws and have some more control over the, the loose animals or and other communities may feel that that is never going to work. And so there's other uh, ways that they might want to do things. So it's meeting with the leadership. It's talking about what the, what are the main problems in that community? And then we start to work about what are the root causes of those problems and how is that going to define what this plan is going to be? And so initially we will do spay, neuter, and vaccine. Because it's always a, it's almost always a priority, and that's fine. But the goal is to figure out how to have veterinary access on an ongoing basis without us. Mm. That's our goal. And so, in one community um, that we worked with, we started out doing spay neuter, and then it was amazing. A veterinarian decided to open a practice in this remote community, which was amazing. And so, we worked with her. And instead of us going in and doing this work, we took the grant money that we had from PetSmart Charities of Canada. We used it for a spay-neuter assistance program that was done through her. And so it's that's the perfect solution. But unfortunately, in a lot of communities, <laughs> you're not going to have a vet just happen to come by and open a practice. But uh, So you have to be inventive in figuring out what the solutions are. But you do it together with the community leaders. Um, and so our it really is changing or has changed and is continuing to change how we approach our work with, with the communities.
0: Mm. You know, when you started to talk about that with a veterinarian coming into a rural area and opening up a practice, it, which is so needed, it, it made me think of there are a few governmental programs that are trying to encourage veterinarians to come to rural areas to help with that care that's needed for animals. Has anyone come to you and or have you worked with anyone on maybe showing where some of the biggest needed areas could be, or have you collaborated with any other types of groups?
1: Um well, it's interesting. I, I do have a quite a network having been with this for so long a network of groups, and we all uh, discuss what the issues are. And, um, you know, there are some that are definitely trying to work with the different, because in Canada, every province has different has different regulations. And so in order to be able to go in and do volunteer work in a particular province, there's a lot of, there's a lot of hoops you have to, to jump through to be able to do that. And in general we we've been very successful in doing that we have no problem doing it because you know we want the provincial medical associations to uh, to know that you know we do have protocols that are as safe as we can possibly have them we do have follow up care and you know we're not just going in there and and you know doing a job that's not really well done and and so you know we we want that to be part of what we do but Sometimes it can be a barrier to trying to get to work in a particular place. But those things are changing. I find slowly over the years they're changing. They're getting a little bit more understanding of working in these remote areas. And so I think we're getting there. Also, telemedicine is is helpful. It's very helpful with the remote. Um, And so we have a, a particular link to our organization through telemedicine. So that if it's a community that we work with and someone in that community needs to call telemedicine, they use that link, they'll get a, a discount because um we're an affiliate. So, you know, we we're we're trying to to give them some some way of of access to vet care. It's a challenge. Oh yeah.
0: <laughs> we definitely haven't quite figured it out fully yet for sure. So as we continue to learn and, and I love how you said you have a network because I think it does take a village, <laughs> a, a lot of different people Absolutely. with different experiences and perspectives to come together and work collaboratively. It just makes me feel so amazing when I hear about that collaborative spirit that you found when you went down and, and were helping with yeah. Katrina.
1: Well, um, and even with what we do. I believe collaboration is so important. There's so many groups out there that are trying to do similar work and you know, we can all help each other. It, why reinvent the wheel? You know, if someone's already done this, learn from that and learn from their mistakes. People call me and that are just starting out and I just, I just basically give them everything we've got. Like, here you go. Like this is, you know, and use what you want and don't want and there's no reason to hold back. There's so much work to be done. That we should be helping each
0: other. Back to kind of your career path. I know when you were starting to work with this organization, you were still working in clinic as well, right? You were doing both. So what was the progression of, you know, you having to do both and then starting to find that the animal assistance team was, was taking up quite a bit of time and you're now doing that
1: completely. For about 10 years, I worked full time in the clinic. And I was running, I was the executive director of CAT. Part of what was good is that CAT was growing and changing. And I was adding new things in and very excited about all of that stuff, but of course, creating more and more and more work. And so I got to a point in the last couple of years, probably two or three years, uh, I can't keep this schedule up. I, it's crazy. Like his cat was almost becoming a full-time job and I already had a full-time job. And so I started to slow down and I cut back my hours at the clinic and I worked for a couple of years, but it still, it was just, it wasn't a sustainable <laughs> schedule. But the problem was I loved both. I I still after all the years I have been in the veterinary field and in the clinic work, I absolutely loved it. And so it was an incredibly difficult decision because I also absolutely love my nonprofit work. So I had to make a decision between them. And so I decided with the clinic that and they're they're great because I still do work at the clinic, but it's a very minimal number of hours. Um, I help out when needed with vacations and things like that and special projects that they need done. But I it's freed me up to be able to do more of a focus on the nonprofit work. And so I miss being in the clinic every day. I do miss it, but I also really love the work that I'm doing. So I just couldn't have both and have a life. (laughs) Yeah. Right.
0: Well, and, and the other thing that we discussed earlier was around these opportunities for veterinary technicians you you talked about it earlier that more and more technicians are getting to do more things which is is good we yes. I think we're, we still have some room to grow but you know it, it's getting there we're going in a good direction and and you're able to work with other veterinary technicians kind of through this process, whether it was, you know, mentoring in the clinic, but just with the the nonprofit world as well. So what are some things that you've seen just, you know, working with other veterinary technicians about career options and volunteer options? What are are your thoughts around that?
1: Well, it's interesting because each uh, clinic that we run in whatever location it is, We put a, put it out to our membership that this is the project that's coming up. This, these are the dates and, and then people apply for whatever one they're interested in. And then we form the team. And so the team is different every time we do have veterans. We try to have veterans on a few veterans on every project because those are the ones that are going to be able to help and mentor the new ones. But we definitely really welcome new people because we want them to get this fire under them that we have, you know. And we call ourselves cat addicts, and it's it's not feline; it's uh, (laughs) the actual word. But maybe both. (laughs) um, Yeah, it could be feline as well. It's always so interesting. One of the things that I have said many times. uh, One of the things I enjoy the most. I do love being able to go into these communities and and help out and meet the people and the animals. But I also really love meeting all the vets and techs. Like I've met so many people through this organization and learn about what they do in their daily lives. And occasionally, you know, it's interesting to me because it's a group that comes together. Most don't know each other. We're all staying in the same place. We're working long hours. It's a protocol that they haven't necessarily used before. and. It amazes me that, with hardly any exceptions in all the years I've been doing this, everybody's doing it with a big smile on their face. We're all laughing at the end of the day. We're having a great time together. And it's just so uplifting to have the veterinarians and vet techs that are so giving. And, you know, they're taking their vacation time, they're doing this for free, <laughs> and they're working sometimes harder than they do in their regular job. And they're, thrilled to do it and can't wait to do it again. And that to me is just such a great testament to the veterinary profession in general. Occasionally we have had techs who are in a job where they just, they don't have any confidence in themselves because the veterinarian that they're working with is not really uh, building that confidence up for them. They're, They're holding them back. They're not letting them do things and they come on these trips and we're like, yeah, hundred percent, you can do this. And you, you have a tech that mentors that person and talks them through it. And by the end of it, they're like, Oh my God, I can do all of these things. You know, like it's so uh, uplifting to see that kind of thing. And we've had so many techs say that coming on a cat project changed their direction in their career. It changed their mindset and they, they decided to start to work towards something that they really were interested in. And we've also had veterinarians who have said it recharges their batteries to come on a project because they don't have to worry about how much they're charging. They don't have to worry about the business side of anything. All they have to do is help that animal. And, you know, we have the freedom to do that because we are lucky enough to get grants um, that support us and uh, foundation money and things like that it's not something you can do in the real world uh, as as much but yeah it's really an uplifting thing to see what a difference it makes to a lot of of people veterinary professionals when they come on something like this mm-hmm.
0: i do believe that there is something special about volunteering you know if you're looking for a good date option go volunteer together because i i think there is just something special that brings you together with you know coming together for this bigger mission and but it sounds like in addition to that you set up a culture of positivity, of encouragement, of support because to hear someone say i now have the confidence or I, I was kind of revived to pursue something I had been thinking about, I think speaks to this culture that you're able to establish. So I want to recognize you for that. Is there is there anything else that maybe you've noticed that you might contribute to the success of having those wonderful feelings and culture when you go to a project?
1: I definitely think it, part of it is the people that are in this organization, for sure. That's a huge part of it. And volunteering is an interesting thing. And and it's what happened to me when I went down for Hurricane Katrina, I came away completely having this fire lit under me to get out there and do things that uh, can help in, in using my skills. And, and so I think that it also does uh, does that for a lot of people who come out on a, a cat mission. The, the, a lot of times, it's the first time they've ever seen some of these very remote communities. They have no idea how people live. We talk a lot about it before we go on the project. Uh, we have an orientation meeting and we talk about the community and we talk about the struggles that are there and the respect that we need to have for the people. It isn't just about the animals. It's about the people. As well, and it's about the whole community. So, any work that we do isn't just to help the animals, it also is, you know, it has that um, effect. And so, uh, I think that it, when you volunteer, uh, at least my experience has been, and I know a lot of people who come on cat projects, you feel like you're going to give a lot to this community and you're going to use your skills and everything else. And you come away going, Oh my God what I gained back from going into that community and learning about how people are living in some of these remote communities and why the dogs are the way they are and also figured finding out that they the people love their animals they love their animals but the, everywhere I've been there there's always exceptions but that's everywhere <laughs> you know But everywhere I've been, they love their animals. They just don't have access to vet care. And we have no concept of, most of us have no concept of that, especially if you're in the field, (laughs) you know? Um, And so you come away with so much more than what you give. And I think that that is something that, that's what makes a cat addict. They want to go back and do it again. It's definitely left an impact for
0: you. If someone is inspired and want to, learn how to find volunteer opportunities what do you recommend cuz this is all across america and canada so if there's someone in the profession that wants to volunteer what guidance would you give
1: i would say that there are there's lots of groups like ours in the states and you can 100% just google depending on the kind of work you want to do but if you want to be going into communities and using your skills in those communities, then you know, there's a lot of different groups you can find online that that do this kind of thing. And you can just, you know, when you read up on them, you can get a feel whether or not this is the group you think you'll you'll click with. For us, it's just we you go onto our website and you can become a member and follow us on social media to see what we do, all of those kinds of things to get a feel for whether or not this is a fit for you. I would say you just have to make that first step and go, go to a go to a project, go to a clinic, whatever it is that is the volunteering opportunity. And you can do volunteering if you're not a person who likes to travel or you can't give as much time. Do some volunteering within your own community. There's all sorts of opportunities for animals uh, to volunteer I think, you know, a lot of uh, cities have outreach programs, um, outreach programs for the homeless and, you know, look into those and those you can go and volunteer for a day. Going on the traveling into the remote communities is usually a commitment of at least a week. And so some people can't give that much time. And so, but there's so many places that you can use your skills and help the animals and the people that are connected to them. Uh, so I would just say, you know, pick something. And go out there and try it um, and see what you come away with, uh, because it's going to be more than what you take in.
0: I like the community aspect of it, starting in your own community, whether it's opening up your clinic on a Saturday for a, a lunch and learn or open it up for the kids to have a kid's day where they come and they get to play with the the stethoscope or something like that. Go to a school and talk about veterinary medicine, there's so many opportunities that I think you can make veterinary or, or volunteer work for for you and maybe what area you're interested in. So, so many opportunities. And then back to the, the community aspect, I, I like how you set that stage. It's, yes, animals are great. We're here to help animals, but really we're helping the entire community. And I think that's such a great mindset even to take back to the for profit clinic is yes we we're treating animals but really it is there's a whole community it's the pet owner it's the you know the community that we serve so i think that's such a a great mindset to consider before we we have to wrap up i i want to open it up anything that you would provide as guidance or wisdom for veterinary technicians or or the profession in general?
1: Oh, wow. That's a big open question. It is. <laughs> I, I like big open. <laughs> <laughs> when you're starting in your career and you're trying to, sometimes you're just starting in your career and you're happy to have a job. And, and But, you know, give some thought as to what what gives you the most joy. What are you enjoying the most in the job? And if there's an area that you like and you think you want to specialize in something, you know, uh, look into that or you need further schooling to do whatever it is, it is your passion, then, then do that. But, it, you know, it takes time and maturing and actually working in the field to start to learn those things for a lot of people. But it's never too late to, to go in the direction that you want to go. And I think that it's really important to just keep that keep your mind open to what's out there, because I love your your show, because that's what it's all about. Yeah, it's all about like opening your mind and and looking at the different avenues out there for you. I think that's a really important uh, thing to do when especially when you're starting out and you've been out in the field for a little bit, maybe so you get a feel. If there's an area that you really think you are you would enjoy, then make sure that you look into what do you need to do to get there. I think it's important to have a passion for your job. And every job has things you don't like doing, has days that aren't great. But in general, you should have a passion for what you're doing every day. The good days are going to weigh away the bad. I think that's really important that you're enjoying what you're doing.
0: Completely agree. Well, I have a few final questions just to, to wrap it up and, and maybe get to know you just a little bit better. And the first question is, is there something that people may get wrong about you?
1: Ah, probably thinking that I don't get nervous about any kind of, you know, standing in front of people and giving presentations. And in general, I don't. But occasionally, there and I did get a little bit of, nerves right beforehand and i think that there's a uh, people who think that that's not that that's never there with me but sometimes it is
0: yeah the second question is do you have like a, a hidden skill or interest that maybe not a lot of people know about
1: i'm kind of a person that <laughs> everything's out there <laughs> <laughs> people know if there's something I like they know I like it <laughs> so I'm, I'm not um I don't hide a whole lot of, of things so I don't know I don't think there is
0: is is there one that you're you're know. particularly proud of let's we'll go with that
1: a skill yes um, honestly I'm proud of of cat I'm proud of running cat that is you know I can remember years ago uh, going to a conference and you know, when people get up and they get introduced and you listen to all this stuff that they do and you're like, oh, my God, like, <laughs> novel. <laughs> and I remember uh, this person got up and they ran a huge nonprofit animal welfare organization. I thought, can you imagine being able to do that? <laughs> and I never thought okay. I would. And I ended up doing that. So that's something I'm really proud of.
0: Ah, well, I want to just call that out to other people too. Maybe take notes of those kinds of things too. Like when you hear maybe from other people, what to you is most impressive because that might be a hint on something that you're interested in. Absolutely. So yeah. yeah. Uh, the third question is, do you have anything on your bucket list that you would like to do?, uh,
1: my bucket list pretty much involves travel. I love traveling. Uh, I'm lucky with cats because I do actually within the clinic work, I get to, to travel to some uh, places They're they're not usually the places you would go on vacation, but right. <laughs> um, they're all, they're super interesting to be able to go to Nunavut and, and see what it's like there, you know, not very many people get that kind of opportunity. But I also want to travel myself personally, um, I just really enjoy traveling and learning new cultures and and going to different places. And so that's that's kind of on my list of things is to travel a little bit more.
0: Well, and the last question is, what is something you are most grateful for?
1: Most grateful? I think I'm most grateful for my family. My husband has been incredibly supportive as I go off and do all of these things that I do. Uh, he, you know, when the kids were littler, he took care of them when I was off in New Orleans. And when you know he takes care of all the animals because we have a menagerie of course and and my kids are always very supportive of what I do too so i honestly i think that's what i'm the most grateful of, of is my family
0: this has been the Vet Life Reimagined podcast. Whether you are listening or watching on YouTube, I hope you enjoyed this conversation. Please make sure you are subscribed to catch all these amazing people in our profession. Also, send this episode to someone you think who would appreciate it. Have a recommendation for someone who would be a good guest? Please reach out on LinkedIn, Instagram, or Facebook. There aren't that many Dr. Sprinkles. Until next time, Vet Lifers.